Antarctica, like I said, I asked this question, what's your Everest? And I had climbed Everest. And then I went around and asked students, what's your Everest? I've heard so many great answers from students. You know, my Mount Everest to be the first person in my family to graduate from college or, you know, all sorts of things like that. Then I started asking adults that question. You know, I do a lot of public speaking in, you know, corporate settings, et cetera. And I asked that question. And what I realized is I'd ask students in a gymnasium full of 500 kids and 500 hands would shoot up in the air, you know, eight, nine, 10 year olds telling me what their dream is, tell me what their Everest is. Then I ask a room, you know, 500 adults this question in a corporate context. And I'd be lucky if like one guy at the back of the room raised his hand. And I'm like, what's going on here? And what I realized is that we are all born with a possible mindset. It's actually an innate part of being a human to dream without limits, to actually believe that we can get to wherever we want to go. But as life goes on, as we get older, the possible mindset is actually stripped away from us. And so this book, The 12 Hour Walk, the exercise of actually taking the 12 hour walk is not teaching you something you don't know. It's actually reminding you of something you already once believed in and already knew in your being when you came on into this planet. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Colin O'Brady. Colin is a 10-time world record-breaking explorer. He's a speaker, entrepreneur, and expert on mindset. His feats include the world's first solo, unsupported, and fully human-powered crossing of Antarctica, speed records for the Explorer's Grand Slams and the Seven Summits, and the first human-powered ocean row across Drake Passage. Colin's highly publicized expeditions have been followed by millions, and his work has been featured by the Joe Rogan Experience, The Tonight Show, The Today Show, and The New York Times. He is the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Impossible First, and now The 12-Hour Walk, Invest One Day, Conquer Your Mind, and Unlock Your Best Life. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Colin O'Brady to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Colin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. I'm super, super excited to chat with you, man, because like your story and everything that you do is like the epitome of the adversity advantage. And before we get into like a little bit more of your your backstory and your own journey of adversity, you climbed Mount Everest once, you crossed Antarctica, but that wasn't enough. You had to to do it with your wife again and climb Everest for the second time. So like like what goes through your mind like when you're thinking about doing something? Like I've often wondered like people like yourself who go on these crazy feats, like when is enough enough? <laughs> no, it's a good question. I, I don't know if I have the, the perfect answer to when is enough enough, but the inspiration, it's interesting. I mean, I, I love what your show is about. I love, you know, we'll get deep into it, the turning adversity. I've had plenty of that in my life into an advantage. But really, you know, for me, at its core, you know, you could point to the external accolades, oh, 10 world records, you know, dumb things that people have never done in history, etc. But at its core for me, that's not the driving factor. You know, for me at its core is an exploration of the human experience, of the human potential. How far can we push ourselves to the edges and, and still thrive and still come out the other end stronger? And so really all the things you mentioned, all the other things I've done, I think filter in some way, both consciously and subconsciously through that lens. You did mention you know, having climbed Mount Everest twice, I write a chapter about my second Mount Everest climb, which happened last year with my wife. You know, that wasn't a world record project of any sort, which is different for me in, in some contexts. But I'll tell you what, the experience, the the journey of sharing that with the person I love more than anyone in the world, perhaps was even more profound than some of these other kind of, you know, feats of higher accolades, so to speak. So it, it's all a journey that we're all on in this life that, that we're living. And uh, for me, I like to really push the edges and, and feel the full tapestry of life life's full experience. That's amazing, man. That's incredible. And I know Jenna was like a big inspiration for you, not only in writing the book, but in a lot of the physical achievements that you've, that you've had. I know she's, she encouraged you when you were crossing Antarctica. I know she's encouraged you in so many aspects of your life. Like, what was it about this? Like what made her like want to take 
a climb with you up Mount Everest when she knew how scary it was, how dangerous it was? Was it because she saw how much this has had an impact on you and seen how much it's changed you? Or was it was she just looking to challenge herself? It's a funnier story than that. I'll try to not go on too long, but there's some funny, funny twists and turns in that story, which is Jenna is not someone who self-identifies as an athlete. You know, she's not someone who that's a core part of her identity. Now, that said, you know, she's not just my wife. I, I, I'd be remiss to say that we have all the expeditions I've done, all the businesses that we've created, the success that we've had. She is, a, you know, a 50-50 counterpart. It's half me, it's half her. And, you know, co-dreamer, co-conspirator, obviously life partner, romantically, professionally. I mean, our lives are deeply intertwined and it's been an incredible journey. We've been together for 15 years. We met in our early 20s. And just like any relationship, sure, we've had our ups and downs, but really it has been incredible experience to, have, to, to walk beside her in this life. But she has been my number one support system, like I said, not just emotionally, but through all the details. I mean, spreadsheets on how many grams of food I can bring in my sled across Antarctica to weigh this much and how much I can eat and not eat. And, you know, I'm in the weeds with all the little details, the permitting to row a boat across Drake Passage. She's working with like the Chilean government to get, you know, passage into the waterways of the Chilean military and the Antarctica. I mean, she's deep, deep, deep in the nuances of it. So after all this, at one point she said to me, and I think it was in 2019, she says, Maybe this sounds ridiculous. We were in our house in Jackson Hole looking up at the mountain. She goes, maybe I can climb Everest one day. And I was like, well, she's like, what do you think? She just asked me, you know, what do you think? And I was like, heck yeah, you could. Now, we'd have to train you up. You know, she, she's climbed some mountains before, but like we got to train the technical mountaineering, you know, get your fitness up, get your strength up, get your confidence up in the mountains. But if you commit to this goal, you can do it. And she committed to the goal, trained super hard for a year. You can only climb Everest really in the spring. So Everest is typically climbed in May, but the expedition usually start in April. It's like an eight week expedition typically. And we're getting ready to fly to, we're actually gonna climb Everest from the Chinese side. There's a Nepalese side and a Chinese side. Of course, the summit's the same, but you can approach it from either side, uh, either country. We have flights to China on April 4th of 2020. Um, <laughs> as anyone who lived through the spring of 2020 can know that uh, there, there, we sure didn't get on that flight. There were, there were no flights. They were all canceled due to COVID. And she knows this. I read about this in the book, my new book, The 12-Hour Walk. She quit. She quit after that. You know, COVID was a hard time. COVID, I mean, for everyone, I think it affected everyone, affected me. I found myself in some deep anxieties, deep, dark places in my own mind, kind of sitting adrift, purposeless, things that we had on the calendar, business opportunities, just gone, gone, right? Everything. And look, my problems are, are far less than the, the larger global problems of, you know, millions of people dying and getting sick and whatever. But like, you know, you're holed up in a house in your own mind, can't do any things you want to do. And in that same kind of moment, Jenna quit on this goal of climbing Everest. So a year later, in 2021, we had already deposited some money down for the first climb that got canceled that they were going to recredit to us that we had enough left for one climber. And I was like, do you want to go? And she was like, no, I didn't train. She stopped training for a whole year. And we basically, I decided to go and I'm going to attempt a world record of something called climbing Everest and Lhotse. So Lhotse is the fourth tallest mountain in the world, sits adjacent to Everest. And we are uh, going to attempt that climb. I'm going to, excuse me, I'm going to attempt that climb. But she's like, I'll trek to base camp with you. I'll come to base camp with you. I'm like, great. You know, amazing experience. The trek in itself is, uh, you know, once in a lifetime experience uh, for those listening. It's not super expensive, you know, uh, but it's such a beautiful, beautiful, untouched, pristine part of the world. And there's no roads, you know, people are walking through footpaths to get through these little villages. And you finally reach Baver Space Camp at 17,000 feet. Again, I, I could go long in the story. And I want you to buy the book. This is one of, the, one of the chapters of the book. This isn't the totality book, but there's one chapter on this. The long story short is Jenna did not plan to climb Everest there. She didn't even bring her down suit for climbing Everest. She didn't have a permit. She didn't have all these things. And slowly over my climb, she's like, well, I do have a permit to come up to camp one, maybe camp two. So I'm excited to climb with her. And then slowly but surely she like sees the summit and goes, well, maybe I could climb Everest one day. We'll have to come back one day. Long story short, I finally said to her, well, what if one day was today? And, you know, a whole rigmarole of permits and money and logistics and all the stuff had to ensue to make this possible. It's not like we just went rogue and she climbed the mountain. But the long story short is Jenna 
went over, having given up on herself a year before, and still managed to get to the summit of Everest. And we did that together. And like I said, standing on that summit together and all the trials and tribulations, I mean, crazy stuff happened. We got hit by an avalanche at Camp 2. Other, not people we knew directly, but people did die over the course of that Everest season as they do every single year. There was all sorts of adversity that we faced along that along that time. But it was an incredible experience to experience together. Now, this book that I wrote, it's called The 12-Hour Walk, and we'll get into what that means. But at its core, it's a book about mindset. It's a book about how all of us, myself included, we have these limiting beliefs. We have these thoughts that go through our head. I'm not strong enough. I'm not fit enough. I don't, I, don't like to be, I don't like to be uncomfortable. What if I fail? I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. We know as humans this sort of negative thought pattern that can loop in our brains. And of course, just like anyone else, I'm guilty of all this. And this book at its core is about overcoming this. So Jenna's story is told through the lens of someone who has given up on themselves, who has literally said, I'm not strong enough, I didn't prepare and whatever, but also showing not me as a, you know, an athlete, a professional athlete for many years, but my wife, non, a non-athlete, the process of her emotional both ups and downs, it eventually ends on a high, but there's a lot of low moments in there. And I know you talk about that adversity, both in the mind, body, and soul of, of how we can use those challenges and setbacks to actually get us to that eventual goal. So I'll stop going on and on. I could talk all day about that, but it was an incredible moment to experience and, and not and not a linear path, right? Not a, oh, we set this goal, trained for it, got to the top. It was great. No, no, no. It had a million setbacks along the way. Um, so many times where that didn't look like it was possible, but through creativity and perseverance, she got to the top and I couldn't be more proud to share that moment with her. So inspiring, man, you know, as like I said, she was somebody that really helped inspire and encourage you along a lot of the things that you've done. And then for you to kind of bring it back full circle and help push her to climb something that really helped change your life in a big way, I think had to be so meaningful, not just for you both physically, but also for your marriage. And speaking of your marriage, like obviously you strike me as the person that loves like extremes, like loves pushing yourself to the limit, loves challenging yourself, loves like doing what you can to grow, but that doesn't always work like in a marriage. So how have you learned to like hone your personality or like balance it a little bit to make that relationship dynamic work? Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, to me, I value relationships. You know, there's a chapter in the book that's around friendships and community. Um, but at the core of any your, your relationships, or for most, for a lot of people, is kind of their primary partner. You know, their romantic partner, their spouse. It doesn't have to be, but it's certainly common in you know adulthood to have that be the case, and that's certainly the case for me. And what I've realized is that if I don't have that in alignment none of the rest matters if, if that makes sense like it's sort of like the feats or the successes or the wins or whatever without that in alignment it doesn't matter there was a interesting moment in my life I wrote about a little bit about this in, in my first book that came out a couple years ago the impossible first Jen and I have been together for 15 years now about five years into our relationship we were going through a rocky moment you know I had some goals about racing triathlon professionally. I wanted to make the Olympics and I was hell bent on that. It was a childhood dream. I had this opportunity to race triathlon um, and I really wanted to focus on that. And what I thought to myself is, I'm so focused on this that I'm willing to sacrifice everything in my life, including my relationships, including my friendships, including you know being with this incredible woman that I love very much because that's what the goal required. And so I broke up with Jenna and I moved to Australia to train um, triathlon full time. Now I was invited to train as part of this kind of elite triathlon group. I was kind of the young up and comer at the time. And there were several people, men and women in this group, 15 kind of hand selected people. And several of them were, you know, reigning or former world champions, Olympians, you know, the best of the best. And I ended up spending a bunch of time with this woman who was a, a multiple time world champion. I remember asking her one day and I thought, you know, here I am, I'm with the best and the best, I'm training with the best and the best, I'm on the other side of the world, you know, this is my ticket to being an Olympian. And I asked her one day, I said, hey, look, you know, like I said, I left, left my wife behind, you know, she wasn't, we weren't married at the time, but my now wife, my very serious girlfriend, we living together and I uprooted that, moved to Australia without her and here I am. So I asked this woman, I said, so what was your favorite win or what was your favorite race you've ever done and like i said she had several world championships to her name so i was expecting her to be like oh it was the time i won the ironman world championship or it was the time i you know won this race or that race and she looked at me and she had, she had quick answer it didn't take her long to answer she goes oh that's an easy one uh it was the time i came second place at the manchester commonwealth games in 2004 and i was like 
what are you talking about? You've won all these world championships. How could your best race be a second place? And she said, well, look, you know, my family didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up. And so they couldn't travel. All their money went to me just getting me to a race. There was no chance they could come to a world championship, travel to the other side of the world or whatever. They sacrificed so much for me. She goes, but they live close to Manchester. And so the Commonwealth Games happened to be there. And it was one of my fewest big races of my entire career where my family was there to see me. And she goes, I'll tell you what the most lonely experience on the planet is. Standing on top of a world championship podium thousands and thousands of miles away from any person that you love or care about. And it just hit me in that moment that I thought I had to sacrifice everything in my life, including my relationship, to go pursue this Olympic goal that I was passionate about in my 20s. And I had cast aside the most important thing in the entirety of my life to pursue that. Meaning, even if I had reached that goal, even if I had that gold medal hanging around my neck, if I was standing there alone, it didn't matter. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to Organifi. As you know, Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers that contain less than 3 grams of sugar per serving. Recently, I have been loving the refreshing taste of the new Organifi green juice, Crisp Apple. That's right, Crisp Apple. It comes with all the benefits you've come to love in the classic green juice with a new juicy twist. Enjoy the same fan-favorite nourishing ingredients such as ashwagandha, moringa, spirulina, and chlorella, designed to hydrate, energize, and support cortisol balance. The new green juice, Crisp Apple, is made with organic, wholesome, hand-picked apples. It tastes like a fresh, juicy slice in every sip, making it the first of its kind the whole family will absolutely love. It's only available for a limited time, so make sure to stock up now and take advantage of this nourishing green juice that tastes absolutely divine. So go to www.organifi.com backslash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com backslash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off any item. If you suffer from digestive issues like gas, bloating, cramping, even when you're eating healthy, nutritious foods, then you could probably benefit from a high-quality enzyme. If you've never tried enzymes, or even if you've tried and they haven't worked, I want you to give this one a chance. As you know, I'm a big fan of the company Bioptimizers. They are one of the few supplement companies who have the best formulations and use the highest quality ingredients and their products work. I asked them if we could organize a great deal for all of my listeners, and they over-delivered. Right now, you can get a bottle of Mazimes for free. All you need to do is pay a small shipping fee, and there's no catch. There's no tricks, no forced continuity, and nothing to cancel. They are so confident in their products that they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee, so I'm positive you'll be satisfied with the results. Mazimes is a 17-enzyme full-spectrum formula, plus it contains all the key enzymes needed for optimal digestion. So many individuals suffer from digestive issues because any protein your body doesn't break down can lead to digestive distress, gas, bloating, and constipation. Mazimes can help ensure that all the protein that you consume breaks down into absorbable amino acids. So I strongly suggest that you head on over to their site to grab your bottle before they either run out or take down this offer. Go to mazimes.com slash free. That's M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S dot com forward slash Doug free, which is all one word. And you will automatically get access to your unique coupon code to claim your free bottle. Limit one per household. Offer is valid while supplies last. You're going to love their products. So go now. Now let's get back to the show. And so uh, I, I can't say I hopped on the first plane, but pretty close. I hopped on next planes back to the United States and, and begged and clogged Jenna to, to take me back with this newfound wisdom. And I've never lost sight of that, which is to say, I'm proud of my accomplishments. I'm proud of my 10 world records and New York Times of selling books and different successes externally that I have. But I'm mostly proud of that because I've been able to experience it in the depth of relationship and love and intimacy with my wife, my close friends, my family, etc. And if I had sacrificed those things for these external accolades, they would all mean nothing to me. And I was so grateful for that lesson that I learned at that phase of my life because I fundamentally still believe that is so true. It's amazing and super inspiring, man. And, and congrats to you for 
kind of seeing like the light in that and because a lot of people they would have just kept they would have heard that story and they would have been like oh like whatever she's wrong she doesn't know what she's talking about i'm just going to keep competing and competing and competing and they end up finding out that hard lesson like a lot later in life and um you know it's just amazing that you found that early on in, in your career of doing this stuff and you're now able to create what you've created with Jenna. I mean, a lot of this almost couldn't have happened. I want to go back to like arguably one of the toughest moments of your life where you nearly died when you were in Thailand. And, you know, you mentioned that you had this dream of going to the Olympics and competing as a triathlete and that all like was shattered in Thailand. So or it, could, it almost got shattered in Thailand. So walk the audience back to like what was going on in your life then, what happened and like how you were feeling when that event took place. Yeah. So, you know, I always dreamed of traveling the world at some point in my life. When I was a kid, I didn't have a lot of money growing up. It was more just a dream, but I started painting houses in, in summer when I was 16 and I then did that all the way through college. And every summer, mostly I was, you know, saving up money to pay for books in school or college or whatever. But I ultimately socked away a couple thousand bucks every year and said, when I graduate, you know, before I get my quote unquote real job, I'm going to go see the world a little bit. And, you know, I'd saved up not that much money, you know, a few thousand bucks, but enough to one way plane ticket. And they went out on the cheapest, cheap as I could, you know, can I hitchhike? Can I stay in youth hostels? Can I sleep on people's floors and couches? Can I eat Peter? How many peanut butter and jelly sandwiches can I eat? You know, that kind of shoestring budget I had a backpack and a surfboard and it was an incredible experience for me in my my early 20s just out of college to have this experience in fact it's actually where I met my wife Jenna in 2007 I met her on the first stop of my journey in, in Fiji we crossed paths for 24 hours and fell in love so that it's a win right out of the gate no doubt but I found myself several months later on this beach in rural Thailand and having what I thought was a time of my life, you know, 22 years old, not well, not a fully formed prefrontal cortex. So I saw some guys uh, jump in a flame and jump rope and I said, hey, that looks like fun and didn't really evaluate the consequences. But in an instant, my life changed. I tripped myself over this rope. It was soaked in kerosene that splattered my body, lit my body completely on fire to my neck and uh, survival mode kicked in when I needed it most. And I jumped into the ocean to extinguish the flames, but not before about 25% of my body was severely burned. And I was in Thailand, but I was not just in anywhere in Thailand. I was actually in a super remote part of Thailand on a small island. They had no proper hospital. I had a moped ride down a dirt path instead of, a, instead of an ambulance ride. And, you know, I underwent eight surgeries in a series of kind of makeshift hospitals where there was you know, literally paint the picture for you. There's a cat running around my bed and across my chest in this small ICU. I mean, I was far, far from, far from home, you know, talk about adversity, right? And the physical trauma was immense, obviously, but the most traumatic moment of the entire thing was when a doctor walked in about the fourth or fifth day and, and he was just being honest and not, nothing against him. He just looked me straight in the eye and he says, you know, Colin, I hate to tell you this, but I'm looking at your injuries and it's likely that you'll never walk again normally. And I think that'd be a tough diagnosis for any any person of any age. But for me as a young person whose identity was so tied up in physicality and being in my body, being an athlete, you know, been a collegiate swimmer up to this point, I was just shattered. And uh, thankfully, there is a heroine to this story, which is my incredible mother. I can only imagine what it's like to be a parent and be in the, the hallways of a hospital, you know, watching your son writhe in pain. You know, she told me now she was crying and pleading with the doctors for all sorts of good news, but she never actually showed me that fear. Crazy enough. She actually instead came into my hospital room every single day with this huge smile on my her face and this air of positivity talking to me about like, this is bad, Colin. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but what are you going to do when you get out of here? Let's set a goal. What do you want to work on? What, you know, and I was like, what are you talking about? Mom? Said, you know, like, what? She's like, no, no, no. Visualize yourself without limits. I call it this now in, in, in my new book, The 12 Hour Walk is really framed actually around this concept, a concept that I think we all can conjure in our minds, but it's what I call a possible mindset a possible mindset, an empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life with limitless possibilities. My mother was saying, this is bad, but there are still limitless possibilities in your future. So do me a favor, close your eyes and visualize something. Tell me whatever pops into your head first, first thing. So I play along with her seemingly silly game. I close my eyes, I open them back up and she sees me kind of smile for a second. She goes, what'd you see? And I said, well, I saw myself crossing the finish line of a triathlon. Now, I had never raced a triathlon at this point in my life at all. And so she could have easily looked at me and said, yeah, I said set a goal, visualize something, but you know, maybe something a little more realistic. I mean, look at your legs, like you're not gonna raise a triathlon, right? But instead she said, great, that's your goal. In fact, 
you should start training for it right now. And she calls for the doctor and asks the doctor to bring in a couple of 10 pound dumbbells and says, hey, my son's training for a triathlon right now. I'm bandaged from the waist down. I'm not taking, I can't walk. I haven't gotten out of my bed in you know a month or something like that. And now I'm lifting dumbbells. My mom's saying he's training for a triathlon, telling every nurse and doctor who walks in the room, my son's training for a triathlon. It seems ridiculous. It seems absolutely ridiculous. But now that's what I said. That's instilling. And it's really at the core of, I know what you love to talk about, which is, I was facing at that point the most adversity I'd ever faced in my entire life by far. And my mom was showing me in the midst of this adversity how I could turn this to advantage, how I could turn this into a strength. And so for the next several months, I focused on this goal. I was eventually flown back home to Portland, Oregon, where I grew up, to my mom's house. I hadn't taken a single step. I was carried on and off the plane. I was placed in a wheelchair when I got home. My mother, step by step, kind of taught me how to walk by putting a wooden chair in front of my wheelchair saying, hey, take one step, hey, take two steps, hey, take three steps. It was a long road to recovery, but eventually 18 months after being burned in this fire, 18 months after being told I would never walk again normally, but be obsessively focusing on this goal, I found myself at the start line of the Chicago Triathlon, my first ever triathlon. I did the race. I, I swam a mile. I rode 25 miles on my bike. It was Olympic distance. Then I ran 6.2 miles crossing the finish line of the Chicago Triathlon just 18 months after being told I would never walk again normally. And the, the kind of kicker of the story is I actually hadn't just finished the triathlon, but I actually won, placing first out of nearly 5,000 participants on the day. But the interesting piece of this is people have asked me, you could go back in time, would you jump the flaming jump rope, Right. You could tell your younger self, don't jump the freaking jump rope, right? It's a weird question because I would not wish the pain and suffering and the trauma that I put my family through on my worst enemy. I I really wouldn't, of course. I mean, it's just horrible. But if I'm being honest, where I'm sitting right now, 15 years later, 10 world records later, the strength that I gained, the lessons that my mom taught me, the book that I have wrote that is not about my own feats, but is literally about a call to action that every single person listening this can cultivate that possible mindset through a one-day prescription. Again, we'll talk about what that is. But at its core, I learned, and that's why I love that you have this podcast, man, it's awesome, is that through my biggest adversity, I also gained my biggest strength. My mother taught me one of life's most important lessons and I have taken that lesson and the ripple effect of that has got me to be having this conversation with you about it. So again, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but at the same time, God, I'm deeply grateful that I learned that lesson and have been able to be stronger as a result of that adversity, no doubt. Man, what a story. We've just begun to kind of unpack certain parts of it and Thankfully, your mom kind of came in and didn't let you just pout for for months or even years in that moment because there's a lot of people and and in t- at times you know like rightfully so like I, I can have empathy and certainly obviously understand like where somebody has like a near like a life threatening um, experience to and they're like in a, potentially told they're never going to walk again they're in a wheelchair that they would like feel sorry for themselves and say you know what like what's the point what's the point of trying again because of what happened like I can definitely have some empathy for that. But I think at the end of the day, kind of like you said, like you do have some level of choice and like, all right, like this is the crappy situation I'm in. It's it's horrible. I can't change it. But what am I going to do moving forward? What, what can I do to better myself in these moments? You talked about some of the physical stuff that you did. They brought in the, the set of 10 pound dumbbells. You set a goal to do the triathlon. You started running again. You started doing those things. But I got to imagine like mentally and emotionally, there was a lot of work that I'm sure had to be done between like the ears and mastering that mental and emotional mindset again? Like what did that recovery process look like during those initial few years? Yeah, look, I mean, it's easy to point to the physical things, but all of those physical things are really just a manifestation of the mind, right? Uh, you don't you don't take those first steps. You don't get out of the wheelchair. You don't race the triathlon. What I love to say is the most important muscle any of us have is the six inches between our ears, right? And I use that, I I say that very deliberately and I say the word muscle, the most important muscle that we have because we don't often think of our brains or our minds in that context. We think to ourselves, well, if I want to get jack you know upper body or have cool good biceps for the beach i better go to lift the bench press i better go hit the gym right if i gotta run a marathon i better run a bunch of miles before that we understand that intuitively that our body works that way interestingly enough i think too often we actually don't think about it the other way which is to say oh Wait, that's our, that's how our mind works too. Meaning you want to strengthen your mind, you got to take your mind to the mental gym. You got to take your mind to the mental bench press. The 12-hour walk, you know, which I want to talk about, this, this book that I just wrote that I'm so excited to share with the world, 
is really at its core an exercise of the mind. It's the, the book itself, you know, it's called 12-Hour Walk, Invest One Day, Conquer Your Mind, and Unlock Your Best Life. To me, unlocking your best life, no matter where you are, you can't change the past, but no matter where you are right now, your mental strength, your mental capacity, your outlook on life is going to dictate how close you are to living your best life or not. Now, the book itself, each chapter, you know, through the lens of, you know, Everest and walking across Antarctica solo and rolling a boat across Drake Passage and all sorts of things, as well as just normal stuff from my life, going through the ups and downs of fear of failure and criticism, breaks down a bunch of common limiting beliefs we all have, right? Myself included. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. What if I fail? What if people criticize me? I hate being uncomfortable, right? Each chapter breaks down one of these common limiting beliefs, something that, you know, we're holding us back. But what I realize is you can live with these limiting beliefs or you can shift to a possible mindset. And a possible mindset rewrites all of those different limiting beliefs and says, actually, you know, instead of I hate being uncomfortable, it's I love stepping out of my comfort zone because this is an opportunity to grow. Literally what your whole podcast is about, right? Or I'm broken, I'll never be the same. You know, my body's never the same. It's like, no, right now I've been knocked down, but I can stand back up. I can get stronger, right? Or what if I fail? And it rewrites that fear of failure to failure is the pathway towards success. And I love to say winners lose the most. Winners lose the most because the people that the the road to success is paved by failure, failure, perseverance, failure, perseverance, failure, perseverance, and eventually success. It's not the people who never failed or never tried at anything. Because if you try something, you're going to fail some of the time. But that's part of the process. So the book really features on that. But again, at its core, and why I'm so excited to share this concept, I can talk more about kind of how I came up through the origin and all that. But at its core, the book is a call to action. It's more of a, than a book. It's a global movement. And what I'm inviting people to do is take their own 12-hour walk. Literally, it's as simple as can be. It costs nothing. It's accessible to every single person, no matter where you're at, to take one day, put it on your calendar, walk out your front door, and go for a 12-hour walk. Now, that might be you might think, oh, that's ridiculous. I'm not fit enough to walk that. I don't care if you walk for one mile or if you walk for 50 miles. I don't care if you take 100 breaks along the way. The one thing that I'm asking you to do is to maintain your solitude and silence. So this is a solo walk. This is a walk without podcasts, without music. I invite you to put your phone on airplane mode and to take a day to reset our minds. Why? I talk about the mental bench press. This is the ultimate mental bench press. This is the ultimate look inside of your own mind. And yes, might there be a time when your feet get tired out there and you feel like giving up? Maybe. But if you push through that, you're going to gain so much strength. There might be a time where certain different limiting beliefs come up in your mind over the course of this walk. But by taking that look inward, by actually pushing through the discomfort, being alone in silence is not something most people ever do for a day. What you will come out with on the other side of 12 hours, that might sound like a long amount of time, but it's actually just one day. It's even just a half a day. I have had so many people test this concept of I've written this book. Every single person comes out stronger, better, more equipped to handle their life, more passionate, more excited as a better spouse, a better partner, a business, better parent, etc. We so often in this modern world do not take the time away from social media, away from our phone, away from external to just look inside of our minds for a day. And so there's so much power to be gained. And again, like I said, this is not this is meant to meet you exactly where you're at. It's not, oh, hey, you got to train for this for a year and work up the stamina. If you feel like you're not in great shape, like I said, my 77-year-old mother-in-law has taken the 12-hour walk. And what it looked like for her is she walked out her front door in silence and stillness. She walked one lap around her block, and then she sat on her front porch for an hour in silence and stillness by herself. And then she walked another lap around her block and then took an hour-long break. She still tapped into the power and she flexed the most important muscle in that exercise, her mind. And so again, obviously you can hear the passion in my voice. I'm excited about this because it's an accessible one day prescription that anyone can take that in just a day can have such a sweeping full meaningful impact on your mindset as you move forward and unlock your best life. I love this concept. I was like thinking to myself, like when I could fit this in, it's like, all right, if I start walking at six, I could be home by by six, you know, I'm just kind of like mapping it out in my head. And I love how you brought up how you can scale this because like, sure, there's gonna be people that are listening to this that maybe having gone outside for a walk in like five years and like 12 hours are like, yeah, right. So I'm glad that you, 
kind of could say like, yeah, you could go out, maybe walk for 30 minutes, come back, sit for 30 minutes, go out, walk for 20 minutes, come back and just like really take that time to gain some clarity and sit in solitude while you kind of reset your mind. I think this is a good time to kind of talk about your exploration of Antarctica and the origin story behind the 12 hour walk, which they go together, right? So I was asking people this morning, I was like, you know, telling people about you and everyone was like, why? Like, why would he do that? Like, they're just curious as to like, why? Like somebody would want to do that because I'm sure we all know pushing ourselves physically that can be done in many ways. You can run a 5K, you can run a marathon, you can do a powerlifting competition. You can do all these things to really push the limits physically. But walking across Antarctica is insane to me. So like, what was like, like why? Like, what was the inspiration behind doing something like that versus just continuing to push yourself in like the endurance sport world? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I'd been racing, you know, after this Chicago triathlon when I, I abandoned my secure future based on what my education, economics degree, I was working in finance and I quickly quit that job to become a professional triathlete, which uh, again was not like the MLB or Major League Baseball or Major League NBA or something like that. It was definitely more peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and living on my friends' couches. But it did give me the opportunity to push my body. You know, super passionate about trying to make the Olympics. Fell just a little short of that goal. But I still really wanted to keep pushing myself. And actually around the time that Jenna, my wife, and I got engaged, we were standing on a mountaintop and really kind of conjuring, again, that possible mindset of going, you know, we're getting engaged. We're going to be together, making this commitment to one another. What do we want our lives to look like? So we sat on this mountaintop and we let ourselves dream beyond without limits. And I said, well, you know, one question I'm fond of asking people of all different ages, young people, people, et cetera, is what's your Everest? Because for me in that moment, I said, my childhood dream has always been to climb Mount Everest. And, you know, Everest is expensive and you know, far out of reach for me at the time, as far as most people and, and et cetera. But we said, whatever, let, let's forget about what the limits are for a second. And we dreamed up this thing. What if I could complete something called the Explorer's Grand Slam to climb the tallest mountain on each of the seven continents and wealth go to both the North and South Pole? And we also said, what if we started a, a nonprofit that could have impact at scale with young people through the media and exposure of this? And it was this beautiful moment because we're caught up in the moment. We're dreaming big as young people, you know, all these dreams. This, we're going to do this world record. You know, forget about the fact that it's going to cost half a million dollars and we have you know, a few thousand bucks in our bank account. We're going to impact millions of students. Forget the fact that we have no resource. We don't know anything about running a nonprofit. You know, we're just dreaming, right? And then we get back home after our, our trip where we got engaged and we get back to our one bedroom apartment in Portland. And this is where most dreams die. We know, we know this feeling, right? Where like you wake up the next morning, you're like, ah, it was fun to talk shit about this idea that we had. But like, you know, you're, you're drinking beers with your buddy. We're going to run that marathon next year. And you wake up on Monday and you call your buddy and you're like, yeah, I think I had a few too many beers. I'm, I'm not training for that marathon. You know, I'm out of shape, you know, whatever. Or I'm, oh, oh, we talked about starting that business, but yeah, like ground that back in reality. Jenna and I woke up and said, we have no money. We have no resources. We have no background. We have no business pulling this thing off. And I won't tell the full story here, but the big limiting belief of we don't have enough money. When I surveyed my Instagram audience and I said, what is stopping you from living your best life? Cause I wanted to write a book about unlocking your best life. What is the biggest thing stopping you? 75% of people answered with the exact same thing. I don't have enough money. And so we didn't either. But we believe somehow, and look, it's a longer story than we have time for here, but I had a thousand doors slammed in my face telling me my idea was ridiculous. I worked at it for 18 months. Jen and I plotted away while also working other things to you know, keep a roof over our head, but we dreamed in abundance and in passion. And we invested the few thousand dollars we had in a website so we could go pitch sponsors and talk to people while people said, no, 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 no. But we had this ability, this mindset around abundance, which is we believe that you can either think of the world than scarcity. I don't have this, therefore I never will. Or I don't have this right now, but is there abundance in this world? So anyways, that unlocked the key for us. But shifting back to Antarctica, I completed the expedition, the Explorers Grand Slam. I set my first two world records. I was incredibly proud of that. I was mostly the most proud of the fact that we did start that nonprofit. And we've ultimately had over a million students enrolled in our programs over time that we've been able to inspire in various capacities through curriculum. But Antarctica... Like I said, I asked this question, what's your Everest? And I had climbed Everest. And then I went around and asked students, what's your Everest? I've heard so many great answers from students. You know, my Mount Everest to be the first person in my family to graduate from college or, you know, all sorts of things like that. Then I started asking adults that question. You know, I do a lot of public speaking in, you know, corporate settings, et cetera. And I asked that question. And what I realized is I'd ask students in a gymnasium full of 500 kids and 500 hands would shoot up in the air, you know, eight, nine, 10 year olds telling me what their dream is, telling me what their Everest is. 
Then I ask a room, you know, 500 adults this question in a corporate context. And I'd be lucky if like one guy at the back of the room raised his hand. And I'm like, what's going on here? And what I realized is that we are all born with a possible mindset. It's actually an innate part of being a human to dream without limits, to actually believe that we can get to wherever we want to go. But as life goes on, as we get older, the possible mindset is actually stripped away from us. And so this book, The 12-Hour Walk, the exercise of actually taking the 12-hour walk is not teaching you something you don't know. It's actually reminding you of something you already once believed in and already knew in your being when you came on into this planet. But I had to ask myself this question. I had literally just climbed Everest at this point in my life. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Kick my feet up and do nothing for the rest of my life? I'm in my early 30s. What's my next Everest? And so my curiosity was piqued by not just a world record, but doing something that nobody in history had ever done, which was a solo, unsupported, which means no resupplies of food or fuel. I had to drag a 375-pound sled behind me with all my gear. Unsupported, solo crossing of Antarctica. So no dogs, no kites, nothing. Just a mono-a-mono, 932-mile slog across the totality of the continent from one edge to the other edge. So why? Sorry, long answer to your question, but why? Why? Well, that's what lights me up. That's my Everest. But I I asked that question at the beginning of this book because I say like, you know, I just happen to like to go to the ends of the earth and mountaintops. That's what lights me up. That's what for me, what feels like me living my best life, fulfilling my deepest curiosity about what we are capable of. Perhaps from the adversity of the burn accident, I thought to myself, well, if I push myself through adversity of Antarctica walking alone, whether I'm successful or not, I'm sure going to learn something about myself. And I sure did. And the end of that expedition I wrote a whole chapter in my last book that's called Infinite Love. It wasn't, uh, hey, I finished Antarctica, no one in the industry had done this, I'm so awesome. It was about connection and relationships and fulfillment and deep passion. And so the 12 hours comes from me walking alone in silence for 12 hours every single day in Antarctica. That's actually what, you know, what the 12 hours is. However, I get back, I have this infinite love feeling, this high, high of completing this expedition, all sorts of press and media and opportunities arise after the success of this expedition, which I'm really humbled and proud by. I have a great year coming out of it. And just like we talked about before, COVID hits. The expedition with my wife is canceled. My book tour is canceled in 2020. All the things I have planned are, you know, we all remember what the spring of 2020 looked like. Just everything we thought we knew the world was like was gone. It didn't exist, taken away, right? And there's all this deep sadness and fear that's justified. People are dying. People are getting sick. You know, I'm locked up in my you know house on the in the Oregon coast, a small cabin my family has. We're locked up on this in this house, and I thought that I had found the answer walking across Antarctica to being fulfilled, being at peace inside my body and mind, struggling through this difficult thing and ultimately realizing this high high, I found myself in a dark place. I found myself depressed. I found myself feeling stuck. I found myself, you know, with the walls, you know, feel like they were crashing in on me and locked up in this house during the COVID lockdown, right? I did, there's several days that would go by, I would never even change out of my pajamas because what was the point? And trying to get myself out of this funk I thought back, when was the last time I felt good in my body and mind? And I go, it sounded weird, but as starving as I was, as tired as I was, as beat up as my body was, the actual last time that I felt a deep peace was when I was walking 12 hours per day across Antarctica. And so I say to my wife, I say to Jenna, I say, this might sound ridiculous, but don't worry about me. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to walk out the front door and I'm going to try to, you know, just do a long walk, a 12 hour walk like I used to in Antarctica but here in Oregon, out my front door. So I step out my front door and 20 minutes goes by and I remember this so vividly, my phone, it buzzes in my pocket, right? Somebody had texted me or something like that and I instinctively reach for it. And right before I start checking my phone and then ultimately get pulled into you know, my phone, the, the life of being inside the phone, the social media, the email, the whatever, I stop myself and I go, haven't I had enough of this lately? You know, COVID, I'm doom scrolling the news every single day. I'm checking my social media. I'm Zooming with people, you know, because I can't see anyone in person. I'm staring at these screens. And so I put my phone on airplane mode. Maybe I don't need my phone today. And I end up staying out there. No music, no podcast, no external inputs. No one's out there because it's COVID lockdown. I'm walking around by myself and I get back to my front door and I walk inside. And before I even say a word, Jenna looks at me in the eyes and she goes, something's changed. You look different. Your posture, I can already, before you even open your mouth, she could tell that there had been such a positive shift and she was fundamentally right. I said, I feel better than I have felt in so long. And then I thought to myself, 
is this 12-hour walk thing just something I can tap back into because I walked across Antarctica for 54 days and I can kind of tap back into this? Or is it the opposite, which is you don't have to go to Antarctica. You actually can do this outside your front door. So I called some friends who are also having a hard time during COVID and I said, hey, I want you to try this thing. It might sound ridiculous, but would you mind testing this thing out for me? Go for a walk, turn your phone off in airplane mode, right out your front door. They asked me a million, do I got to train for this? Do I? No, 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 no. Tomorrow, do it. People, you know, people are sitting around with nothing to do. So people, plenty of people test subjects, willing test subjects. And it has been incredible. Every single person's in a different place. Like, it's not like we're all different, right? We're all confronting different things in our own minds. We're confronting different limiting beliefs. We're struggling through different things in any given moment of life. We're no longer dealing with the COVID lockdown, but at any given time, you know, no matter who you are, the rich, richest, the poorest, the young, old, we're always, you know, in our minds kind of trapped a little bit, right? And people have said to me, they come back from the 12 hour walk. I ask people to take a video of themselves when they start and a video when they end so they can remember it. And people are crying. People are having breakthroughs about things they've been struggling with in their life for, for years that they ultimately have clarity on. They have ripple effects of energetic positivity and relief. And it's amazing the amount of different people from different walks of life that have taken this walk. And so I said, I want to share this with the world. I want to share this. This is completely free. It costs you nothing. I'd love for you to sign up on my website just so I can send you a couple words of inspiration and get you going. There's lots of FAQs on there, 12hourwalk.com. And I did write a book about it. If you want to pick up the book, that's a great supplement to the walk. But at its core, what I'm trying to share is something that is so simple that any single person anywhere on this planet has access to, to take a day of your time, walk outside and spend a day in silence and solitude. I will say one more thing to clarify because it's a common frequently asked question, which is, well, I don't live in a rural place and I don't have a beautiful mountain trail to wander down. This walk can be taken anywhere. If you live in Manhattan, you can take this walk. Yeah, don't talk to the millions of people that are gonna walk past you on the street, right? But the ambient street noise or other people being around doesn't stop you from being alone in your thoughts. So as long as you don't have a podcast song, as long as you aren't engaging and you're going deep into your mind, you can do this walk anywhere. And I encourage people to actually do it out their front door, not a wait for a vacation to be in this other place because that's even an escapism some sort because it will imprint on your daily life in such a deep way from your front door. So. It's a call to action really that I'm really inspired to because I believe this world will just be a better place if we can all take a moment, just a moment, a day. I'm on social media still. I'm talking to you here on podcast. I use my computer every single day. I'm a normal person functioning society. I'm not vilifying technology, but I'm saying we could all use a moment to reset our minds, reset our brains, take a day. And I have seen the life-changing benefits of this one day prescription and saw, watched it unlock so many people's paths to their best lives. What a concept, man. And you're, you're definitely seeing walking become so much more popular these days. And I think it's because what you said, like people are typically when they're walking, a lot of times it's in silence. They're kind of just shutting off the noise of technology and trying to do some self-discovery, getting intentional about what they're doing and coming back feeling better. And like, let alone like what you're talking about, like really taking an extended walk, take it to the next level and, and just really do like a deep dive on for one day on like some stuff you need to work on, get some clarity, like rebalance yourself mentally and emotionally. You've talked about limiting beliefs and you talked about the limiting belief specifically with money that you and Jenna kind of had to overcome early on. And I would imagine that people, they're like, all right, Collins limiting beliefs, like maybe like fear, uncertainty, things like that. Like when climbing Everest, they're a bit different because it's more like life or death. So you're like almost forced from a survival standpoint just to keep going. But we all know that you've experienced like those same limiting beliefs in your everyday life. So what have been some of the, the similar limiting beliefs that you experienced when doing some of these insane feats that you've done in everyday life? And then how do you overcome them? Totally. And to be clear, you know, there's plenty of stories in the book. There are a review that just came out about the book that said it was really positive and it said adrenaline junkies and ad ad adventure seekers alike, as well as the self-development crowd will all be pleased with this book because there's something in it for everyone, which is to say, yes, it's chocked full of you know, exciting, heart pounding adventure stories, but it's also grounded in life. This is not, again, this book is really not about me. 
I'm not the hero of this story. You, the listener, the reader, are the hero of this journey and the hero of this story. And so I also, I keep you entertained by telling you about rowing a boat across Drake Passage, but I also bring you back into all sorts of normal parts of my life where I have experienced all of these limiting beliefs just like most people have. You know, one, one story that I share in the book, and I think it's a common one, that's the limiting belief of what if people criticize me? What will people say if I blank, right? We, we all know that feeling, right? Of the sort of expectation of others and not, not taking reactions to that. So after I won that Chicago triathlon, like I said, I had taken a job in finance. I have a economics degree and I was kind of, you know, thinking that was my career, right? And so I started this job and I trained for the triathlon. I won the triathlon and I coincidentally got invited over to um, a friend's house for a barbecue that night uh, after the triathlon. And my friend's dad, who is a prolific commodities trader, he says to me, what'd you do today? And I told him I won the Chicago Triathlon. It's this crazy story. He knew about me being burned in the fire. We have this conversation. He says, well, why aren't you pursuing that? I said, I would love to pursue this more than anything, but you know, I need a job. I, you know, I don't come from a family with, you know, a lot of financial background and you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, you know, this is my first real job. I got to pay my bills, whatever. And he says, so you're telling me if you had a little money to train, you would focus on the Olympics. And I, I was kind of like, well, I, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, for sure. And he said, well, then I'd love to become your first sponsor. It's not going to be lucrative. It, you're you're going to make way less money doing this than you would doing this job. But if you're passionate about it, I'll help you cover some of your expenses, some plane tickets, you know, some food, you know, training expenses, etc. It was an incredible life-changing moment. It's incredibly generous. And so I get home and I, I call my grandmother and I was living in Chicago. My grandmother was at the triathlon with me. My mom grew up in Chicago. So my grandmother still lived there. She's passed away now. She's a huge influence in my life. And I was so excited. And I call her and I said, grandma, I'm going to quit my job tomorrow and become a professional triathlete. And I expected, maybe I don't know why I expected this, because I was so caught up in the excitement of like this moment of this, you know, what I thought was so cool. And she was like, what? No, you're not. What are you talking about? Like, you grew up with very little. You worked your butt off. You got a scholarship to swim at Yale. You had no business getting into there. You got this degree. Like, it's time for you to actually like, get a real job and like wake like what and she talks to me for and I share this dialogue between us in the book uh, basically her being like you're an idiot do not quit your job like this is a horrible rash decision and I call a couple other friends um, friends and family member and and weigh this decision with them as well and the, the general thesis is like what the hell are you talking about like you've got this great future why would you risk that to you know sleep on your friend's couches and race triathlon, but there was something intuitively inside of me. And again, I won't share all the stories of the book. Basically, long story short, I did quit my job. I did quit my job and I did follow my heart. And guess what? I did fail to make the Olympics, meaning I quit my job in pursuit of the Olympics and I failed to make the Olympics. And that's what everyone said. You're going to fail to make the Olympics and then you're not going to have a real job. And then how are you going to support your family and whatever? And there have been some times when I've had that fear of recurring. Oh shit, did I mess up? Did I mess up my future? But I was tapping into this idea that if I continue to follow my heart, I continue to follow my passion, if I continue to look for opportunities, and like I said before, winners lose the most. I failed a lot. And that is why I have succeeded ultimately. And so again, whether it's quitting a job to go race triathlon or just asking yourself, what more do I want out of life? It's the same thing, but it's that fear of criticism. It's that limiting belief. Now, I've a lot of people have asked me, you know, are you afraid of dying? Are you afraid of dying? You do these risky things. You're afraid of dying. And I thought about that answer a lot, and I I've come to realize that I definitely don't want to die. It's the last thing I want to do. I and mean, I've lost friends and, and some tragedies, unfortunately. So I have no interest in that. But I'm more afraid of not living. I'm actually the most afraid of not living meaning living my full life. And now I've come to think of life on a scale of one to 10. You know, one being lowest, lowest moments, the burn accident in Thailand and an obvious one or so much of the adversity of, of your journey and your story and whatever guests you have on this show. You know, there's a lot of ones in this in this adversity advantage that you're talking about, right? And the tens are the high highs, the peak arcs, the falling in love with my wife, the completing the Antarctica expedition against all odds, the high highs of that. And to use Antarctica as an example, as I stood there, you know, the first person in history to complete this crossing, exhausted, tired, out of food, basically, but experiencing a 10, I come to realize that I'm not experiencing this 10, this high high in spite of my ones, but actually because of them. 
that the ones and the tens, they're connected in our experience of life, meaning I was only able to get this high, high, this deep fulfillment by being willing to experience that discomfort, by willing to experience those ones. And I think too often in life, and actually we're caged in by these limiting beliefs, the criticism being only one of them, we live a life, most people often are living a life stuck between the four and the six, stuck in what I call this zone of, of comfortable complacency, stuck being like, yeah, I have a job. It's fine. It pays the bills. I'm not passionate about it, but it's okay. And like, yeah, it's a five, you know, or I've been in this long relationship with this person and we coexist. It's not like abusive. We don't fight a lot or whatever, but eh, it's fine. Five four, five, six, you know, whatever. And realizing like, are, we have so many modern conveniences, right? In this, in this day and age in society, we, we have phones, we can order food to our front door. We can, you know, have all these things at our fingertips, right? The internet, et cetera. We can distract ourselves in innumerable ways. We can binge Netflix as, I mean, for hours and hours if we want to. It is easy to live a life stuck in this zone of comfortable complacency. And so, one thing the 12-hour walk certainly shakes you up to do, but one thing just general of my life philosophy is I think life is a full tapestry of all of the numbers, of allowing the pendulum to swing. And now people say, but if I have four and five and six, maybe I can just add to that and get a few more sevens, eights, nines, and tens. I'm just like, yeah, you can, but you have to be willing to swip the other way. It's a silly metaphor, I suppose, but imagine you're saying, hey, I want to um, remodel my kitchen. And you got an old kitchen, you're living in a house, it hasn't been updated in 30 years. Say, I wanna remodel my kitchen. Well, you don't just snap your fingers and all of a sudden there's beautiful granite countertop and a nice new appliances and all this kind of stuff. No, you gotta rip out the plumbing, you gotta redo the floors, and for a few months in there, it's gonna suck. You can't use your kitchen, you can't cook food, you can't really live in your house, you're constructing it. But then eventually, it's complete. You eventually get to this beautiful end result. And so this is no different with our lives, with the full tapestry of life. It's to be willing to have some of those momentary or incremental setbacks along the ways, the ones and the twos, et cetera. And what you talk about in this podcast, the one of being burned in the fire ultimately taught me a multitude of lessons that have allowed me to unlock these tens. And this walk, which is a scary thing to do, you know, the, the physical side is a part of it, but really it's to ask people to take a, a day by themselves alone in their brains. That is far outside of most people's comfort zones. And it might be uncomfortable for a little while, but I'll tell you what, when you get back to your front door after 12 hours, I have a strong sense because I've watched a lot of people do this. You're going to be a lot more close to that peak arc of that 10 and be deeply gratified and fulfilled that you did this and took on that challenge. Dude, it's like the epitome and the, the the entire idea of this podcast is like using ad adversity to your advantage, right? Like you just talked about, it's like turning every setback into a comeback the best that you can. And even though like you're at that place where you're at a one in your life, it doesn't mean you'll never get back to a six or a seven or an eight or a nine or a 10. I think most people, Colin, when they're in those moments of the ones, the twos and the threes, they end up like accepting that as like the way they're going to be because they're like, all right, well, I failed like for three months straight or I have been rejected by 15 people in a row or I've been fired from X, Y and Z job, you know, over and over again or whatever the case may be. And they assume that they're just going to be stuck there and they, they will because then they're going to keep telling themselves that that's going to essentially shape their identity and they're going to see themselves as a like one, two or three level person the rest of their life. But if people can just take make that shift change their perspective a little bit, learn to revamp themselves like step-by-step step, kind of like you did, it gives them a chance to get back to that higher number as a human being and experience more, more joy in their lives. And before we kind of bring our conversation to a close and you can let people know like where to buy the book, like the website to find out more information about the challenge and stuff like that. I know you talk about like wanting to have a family one day. And my question around that is like, do you see yourself like when you have kids, like, do you see them being involved in the physical feats that you do? Or do you see yourself like letting them do their own thing? I want to touch back on something you said before that, but I'll answer about the family first. I'm really excited about this next chapter of my life. We're really, my wife and I are very excited about, you know, welcoming in hopefully a child into our, our life very soon. And then hopefully multiple children. And I think 
perhaps that's most one of maybe the most exciting adventures that we can bring or certainly a really epic one. So I imagine there's going to be the peak arcs there, the sleepless nights of the ones and the worrying about your kid and certainly some high highs of love and nurturing uh, of those tens for sure. And will my risk tolerance be different? I don't know. I'll, I'll let you know when I get there. Do I think the same thing will apply, which is I'm, I'm afraid of not living? I think that will also be still a part of me, which is I've lived somewhat of an unorthodox life. And as a parent, I might be somewhat of an unorthodox parent. Do I know exactly what that's going to look like? I don't. And I don't, I don't feel like I need to have those answers, right? I think that just like anything, diving, I, I didn't know how I would make it across Antarctica when I stepped out there the first day. And if you know much about my story, I actually pretty much almost instantaneously failed on the very first day, let alone the 50-some day. But I figured it out day by day. And, and I, I look at fatherhood the same way. Something else you said before, it's, I think it's a good concluding thought about the 12-hour walk, which is you talked about people that have had a big setback that have kind of found themselves in this one, two, or three sort of like moment in their life right now, struggling a little bit and thinking that they're going to be permanently there. So the 12-hour walk, the exercise of the 12-hour walk is interesting because of course, it's the 12 hours. It's, it's the walking out your front door at 6 a.m., like you said, and coming back at 6 p.m. That is the 12-hour walk. But actually, the 12-hour walk challenge the 12-hour walk exercise starts right now. The second that I suggested this idea in your mind and you're listening to this podcast, you have started, I'm guessing, at least 1% of your mind, your conscious mind or your subconscious mind has started to think, should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? Is this a good idea for me or, or am I not going to do this? Or I don't have enough time. I got, I got a busy life, kids. I'm not, how could I ever get a full day off? Whatever, right? There is some level of you bargaining with yourself around this idea. Now, there might be some highly motivated people that are like, heck yeah, I love this idea. I'm doing this tomorrow, whatever. And I salute you, please. Uh, welcome to the tribe. I'm excited to have you. But if you're like most of us, you're weighing this idea in your mind which means that there's some level of limiting beliefs that are occurring for you. And those might be different for every single person. I don't have enough time, or I'm not fit enough to do this, or I'm not strong enough, or what if I fail, or people might just tell me this is a stupid idea and criticize me, whatever that may be. What's interesting about this is the 12-hour walk exercise starts right now. And what I mean by that is by being offered this opportunity, I'm holding up a mirror to you right now. I'm literally holding up a mirror to you and take a look at what limiting beliefs are coming up for you in your mind in response to even being invited to doing this 12-hour walk. Because the odds are, whatever your interior dialogue is around even considering this exercise, whatever limiting beliefs you're telling yourself the reasons why you would never be able to do this, are most likely the same or similar, if not the exact same limiting beliefs that are popping up throughout your life as all sorts of other opportunities, curiosities, invitations get invited to your life, opportunities to shift your life. And what you realize, if you have those same limiting beliefs around the 12-hour walk, like I said, it's a mirror. It's a window into your own life of what might be holding you back. But what's so cool and powerful about the 12-hour walk is why I call this limiting beliefs. The word belief is used intentionally, which is these are not truths. These are beliefs. Beliefs can be shifted. They can be changed. They can be adapted, right? And those limiting beliefs around the 12-hour walk, if you say, yep, I'm in my car listening to Doug's podcast right now and I had all those limiting beliefs pop up, but you know what? I'm gonna push those aside. I'm gonna push more towards a possible mindset. I'm gonna put the 12 hour walk on my calendar. I'm gonna complete it. You are gonna show yourself consciously and subconsciously that the next time those limiting beliefs pop up, that you actually have the power to not listen to them, that you have the power to push through them, that you have the power to overcome them. And that voice, that voice of limiting belief in your mind will start to get quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter. And before you know it, you'll be fully in the realm of possible mindset. You'll be fully shifting off of, oh, money is abundant and I can have it too. Or I got injured, you know, I'm broken, I'll never be the same. No. I've been knocked down, but I can get stronger. I, I can build myself back. That's that possible mindset. That's that shift. So the 12-hour walk, you know, right now, the exercise starts in this moment. You know, in conclusion, thanks for the invitation to share where people can learn more about it. 12-hour walk book, um, you know, buy it wherever you get books. It's out August 2nd. Pre-order it, buy it. I would really appreciate the support. But whether you buy the book or not, take the walk. 
take the walk. Like I said, it costs nothing. I'm inviting everyone to take this walk. If you're struggling to put a day on the calendar or kind of have some structure to it, I'm inviting mass participation on September 10th. So I'm in, I'm, you can do this walk any day, whatever works with your schedule, but I will be walking on September 10th. I have a lot of people already committed to walking on September 10th. And what's that mean? You're gonna be walking alone out of your house. It's gonna be the exact same thing, but you're gonna at least know that there's a bunch of other people that are passionate about making shifts in their life, taking that walk at the same time. And I'm gonna do some some, some Q&A, some Zoom meetups, and kind of bring that community together virtually so that we're all basically going through the challenge of the 12-hour walk together. So September 10th is that date. All this information can be found on the website, the12hourwalk.com. Again, like I said, it's completely free to join, but there is a place where you can register. Basically, allows me to have some contact with you, send you some words of wisdom, some inspiration as you take on this journey and uh, really step into your best life. Like I like to say, your best life awaits. It's just on the other side of committing to and executing on this 12-hour walk. So I, I will I will ask, you've been interviewing me, but I'm gonna finish by asking you a question, Doug, which is, are you taking the 12-hour walk? How's September 10th look for you or any other date coming up? What's your plan, brother? I'm gonna find out where you're doing it and I'm gonna try and come do it with you. <laughs> <laughs> are you gonna have like a live event or is it just gonna be you like walking with like people on Zoom and stuff? Yeah, so like I said, it, it, the, the walk is still in silence. It's still alone. It's still, it's still in solitude and the phone's in airplane mode. So there's not going to be a, a live stream while we're doing that walk, but it'll be, hey, I'm calling O'Brady here in Jackson Hole, 6 a.m. I'm starting my 12-hour walk. And you you might be, you know, the, you know I'm in, hey, Doug here. I'm in Baltimore walking out my front door doing my 12-hour walk. And, and 12 hours later, we'll, we'll all be able to share in the joy and camaraderie of knowing that we all were out there holding each other accountable. So we won't be walking shoulder to shoulder because the solitude is silent. Is, is really the key to the walk, but um, I think there's power in that. So I would love your participation, whether it's September 10th or another day that works for you, but September 10th is going to be an exciting day for a lot of people um, to participate in this. So go on the website, register, put your name down, pick your date uh, and commit to it. Like I said, you know, it seems 12 hours, like it seems like a long thing, but a one day investment in yourself can have a ripple effect of positivity and conquering your mind and unlocking your best life. What a way to end, man. Yes, I'm definitely going to do it, whether it's September 10th or another day. And for those listening, man, like what a story, what insights Colin shared in this conversation. I will make sure to include the links to what he shared, the 12-hour walk, the link to buy his book in the show notes. And for those listening, if you could also please share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Colin said about the relationship with his wife and how they how that works with the way they do business together. Uh, maybe it was something that he said with his inspirational comeback story after bouncing back from Thailand. Maybe it was something that he said about his why, as far as why he decided to walk across Antarctica. Whatever the takeaway was, tag Colin, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again thank you for listening to this episode of The Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.